Welcome to the Binge Your Bum Podcast with Ellen Sherman and Gillian Gordon. Here we are on the beach. Woo! It's summer in the last days of summer. I know, I know. And it, it, it goes so fast. And we're we're here on the beach in, uh, where are we, in Sagaponic. Everyone's arriving on the beach with their cocktails for the evening. And, yes. and, and their dogs. This is our, our last hurrah for the, for the summer. And uh, we've got three very different series for you. <laughs> we have Queen of the South, uh, La, La Reina del Sol. Del Sur. Del Sur, sorry, uh, which is from Mexico. And then we have the Norseman, which is just an insane piece of work from Norway. And then Hijack, which is, is that British, uh, Gillian? It's is British, that- yeah. Very diverse. Next up, from Mexico, Queen of the South. Queen of the South is an adaptation of the telenovela La Reina del Sur, which is an adaptation of the novel of the same name by Spanish author Arturo Perez Reverte, hugely successful book, which I loved. I mean, I really enjoyed Great trash. I recommend it. So there's two versions of this. So this is really confusing and it completely threw me. And I think it threw you too, right? Well, clearly it threw me because I watched the wrong series, but we're, we're lucky to have Gillian. <laughs> there's here. one in English, right? The Queen <laughs> yes. of the South is in yes. English. Yes. With the the beautiful uh, Alice Braga, but La Reina del Sur, which is on Netflix, which is in Spanish and stars Kate del Castillo. It's about powerful women making it in a man's world. So the, the series really centers around Teresa Mendoza, who's a poor Mexican woman who becomes wealthy by building a vast drug empire. It's inspired by a real life female drug lord named Marlori Chacon. I think I'm not sure wow. I'm saying that properly. Guatemalan woman who who ran a cocaine, huge cocaine import from the United States. And she fought off the Colombian and Mexican drug cartels, building an empire, you know, equally, you know, incredibly successful. So it's compelling, you know, it obviously has something. So I guess, you know, if you're crazy about a story like this, then hey, binge them both, right? <laughs> Teresa Mendoza, the central character's starts off as a humble money changer in Sinaloa in the state of Mexico and then becomes, you know, this massive, you know, drug cartel leader. And she falls in love with a pilot who's employed by the Mexican drug cartel. And when they execute her boyfriend, Teresa has to fly. She has to go. She has to get out of town. And she escapes to the south of Spain where she tries to start a new life. However, she is once again immersed in the world of narcotics trafficking. And for a second time, she suffers the death of a beloved man. So after all of these blows, she says, enough of this. I'm taking the reins um, and controlling my own destiny. And, you know, kind of great. Of course, great success is accompanied by, by a great price. And of course, that's the essence of drama, isn't it? There's a pretty standard telenovela. It, it's kind of great. Women running through the jungle, being chased by guys with guns. And the show received a lot of critical acclaim for its gripping narrative, compelling performances, and high production value. And both series have their strengths and their weaknesses. La Reina del Sur is praised for its more faithful adaptation of the book. kind of like the look of the Queen of the South more than I like. The, La Reina del Sur is a, kind of a little, isn't maybe not as sophisticated in terms of the way that it's shot or all about getting to a scene with some guns and people shooting at each other. That was my problem, is that it was very... It was gorgeous. Since I watched the wrong one, the American version uh, was, you know, visually quite beautiful. 
I kind of kept skipping over and I would realize as I really hadn't lost very much. She would form an alliance with one of the other cartels. And then something would happen where one of the other of them would, you know, would backstab their partner. And therefore the guns would come out and the machetes and there would be blood and gore and guts. And then you get back to some kind of alliance being reestablished. You know, they tried to do relationships that meant something to her woven into the story. Men, yeah. and she has a best friend that has a child. So she's very attached to her. That was to me more interesting than seeing gangs of people continually pursuing each other. And then, and also she somehow miraculously seems to be wearing a white silk blouse that never gets sweaty or oh, stained. Or the white, white fabulous white pants. And quite frankly, the, I don't know how um, the Mexican version ended, but the American version ended, it was like Cinderella. I don't know. They, it was absolutely made no sense as far as reality or what might've actually happened. Because at the end of the day, she gets everything she wants you know it doesn't matter that for six seasons she's had people murdered and people you know just the, the lives destroyed she wants yeah, it's an odd morality isn't it i mean yes, you know, really it's okay to be a drug dealer if you're a woman and That's you right. haven't had a great life you know look if you enjoy a fast-paced superficial action thriller that's set in the drug world in, in Mexico and, and other places too, because it's all over the world, really. And that looks kind of sexy and great. And the women are beautiful and the men are very surly with beards. Um, you know, it's worth watching. Oh, what do you think? I'm going to have to give this a bomb. I think there are lots more action movies and things if you want that kind of experience that are better than this. That's my feeling. And you? Um, I'm going to give it a binge only because I am really up for strong central female characters. It's kind of like watching something, you know, and and kind of kicking back. I'm going I'm going to give it a very marginal binge. <laughs> I don't know. I think you're being very kind and very forgiving, but I am. That is your right. Next up, Norseman on Netflix. The Norseman is an often raunchy and sometimes disgusting and often violent, but for me, a very dryly funny comedy from Norway, which is already sort of an oxymoron <laughs> Norwegian comedy. Who would have guessed? Yeah, who would have thunk it, you know? It's shot kind of like an 8th century pseudo-doc version of The Office. So it's about the everyday life of a clan of, as I said, 8th century Vikings who live in the time-appropriate, smelly, ramshackle village of Norheim, where their lives revolve around sending out raiding parties to children. It's like, it's 790. So I just want people to really understand. Oh, thank 790. you. <laughs> I mean, this is insane, right? Yeah, this is sort of one step up from cavemen. They're really not far <laughs> from cavemen. So their lives revolve around sending out raiding parties to cheerfully plundle, plunder neighboring villages for basically anything they can get, like tools, food, and the occasional slave. But all this horrible behavior takes a backseat to how the villagers must deal with relationship problems and work politics and the hierarchy of backstabbing clan leaders. It sounds familiar. The humor comes from how these clearly age-old problems are all set against very 21st century social attitudes, and they use very contemporary language, which makes it even funnier. And so it's the I, know, I was just thinking about that that line. 
that's not really me, confides <laughs> Olaf to one of his warriors, exactly. the fear-based leadership type. You know, I mean, it's it, it, it is, it's ridiculous yes. on that level, but very funny. So, so these scruffy, grimy pillagers um, also have to, I love the fact that they have to deal with sort of being woke. And I remember there was, again, especially when it comes to properly treating slaves. So the villagers um, are very happy to relegate, you know, these often grumpy slaves to sleeping with the pigs, but then they have to deal with these same slaves who decide to form a union to air their grievances. I mean, I just, you know, that concept alone got me. Now, Olaf the chieftain is appropriately intimidating, but his problems stem from the fact that he is, again, a guy living in 790 who has to deal with 21st century sensibilities like feelings. And all this violence, by the way, there's and which there's a lot, lots of violence and lots of pooping and and raping and I, you know the violence is kind of treated with a very Monty Python esque. And I was thinking that, yeah, yeah. absolutely, it yeah. really owes a lot to Monty Python. Doesn't yes, it? I mean, especially I remember limbs were lopped off. It's just horrible, but it's you know funny. It's, it's a bunch of bunch of really talented Norwegians who obviously have a very English comic sensibility where they have a scene where the vikings descend on a on an english village because they haven't really gone as they call it go west they go and so they, they descend on this these ultra saintly english villagers that are dressed in white gowns and sporting like floral headdresses and they're waxing poetic about helping orphans and in the next cut you are not entirely happy to see that there's a meadow stream strewn with their bodies and the, and the vikings are standing there having lunch it basically revolves around not only the chieftain, but Orm, his brother, who is the inheritor to the leadership. And he's despised by most of the village because in contrast to them, he's well-groomed and tidy. He likes to stay home and crochet or make wildflower potpourri. So yeah, the chieftain's brother is a somewhat not-so-closeted gay Viking. And he has the sensibilities, again, of a 21st century man. And in this case, he's somebody that has rather sophisticated tastes. So when a captured Roman actor is brought to the village, this arrogant slave convinces Orm to create an artsy-fartsy art installation. And the fact that this art installation that Orm commissions uses the villagers' swords and leaves the village with culture but defenseless against a horde of neighboring attackers is just kind of part of the fun. It's, it's really silly. I think it actually funny. It did take me a while to kind of get my head into it. I went, oh, cool, really, yeah. And then, but then you realize it's, you know, okay, maybe disgusting, gory, and it's it's stinky and bloody and it's kind of entertaining. I did fall in love with these characters. And you know, what was interesting is that for Norwegian production, I have to tell all of you out there who have troubles with subtitles, they are speaking English and they speak English in the most delightful, you know, Norwegian. Well, you know, they did it in Norwegian and they did it in English. So I found over the seasons it developed and they did, uh, I don't know whether you got to the part where they introduced this crazy pants. I mean, insane rival chieftain. He's just perfection. No, I did see him. He's quite evil, isn't he? He's hysterical. Like Gillian was saying, there's a lot of violence, but it's, if you can say silly violence, it's kind of silly violence. And it's a little, maybe too much of it. You know, I could maybe have stood for a little less people chopping off arms, but all in all. It feels like it was written by a sort of 11 year old boy. Well, but, but a very clever 11 year old boy. I mean, I (laughs) really, I, when, when they did the art installation in 790, you know, 790 Norway, and this guy is trying to create an art, that was, they had me there. So 
I totally love this series. Clearly for me, it's a binge. Uh, it's a bomb for me because I couldn't bear it. Next is Hijack on Apple TV. Hijack is an enthralling airplane hijack thriller which deploys its real-time format. It's a seven-part British TV series featuring Idris Elba. I can say that name over and over again because I love the sound of it, but also I love him. The series revolves around a high-stakes hijacking plot where Elba's character is forced to navigate and eventually defeat the criminals. Desperate to see anything with the Luther star in it, I tuned into Apple TV and committed to the whole thing. He plays ordinary guy Sam Nelson, known for his business negotiation skills back on Earth. I mean, and we say back on Earth because there we see the whole <laughs> series is set in an airplane. 33,000 uh, feet up. Yeah. And he finds himself trapped on a hijacked plane and forced into the reluctant role of hero. You know, it's kind of diehard Flight 93, if only, and maybe Snakes on a Plane, the worst movie ever made. <laughs> right. This, this series requires all of Elba's talent and his massive kind of physical presence actually has a lot. You know, I have to say that that actually is kind of sells his ability to deal with the nonsense of this hijack and, and and all these sort of wimps on the plane who are incapable of doing anything subtle. He's the only actor, to be honest, also in the series that you feel really compelled to watch. But I did binge the whole thing. And Elba can convince even the most cynical, like me, to kind of stay tuned. It, it, it moves too slowly for its genre, in my opinion. It takes such a massive suspension of disbelief to buy that plot, you know? Yeah. Well, I think the pro problem in that case is that it moves too slowly because you're constantly cutting away to a whole other situation on the ground of how, you know, English air, uh, air traffic control is dealing with this. And also it's a relationships that you're really not that interested in. You know, I'm not interested. Yeah, yeah. yeah the cop and his ex-wife. I'm certainly not interested in his son. I Well, the premise is outrageous, isn't it? I mean, I mean, just it, it just to give you the premise, it's a ring of master criminals led by Simon McBurney, who's fantastic, looking really prison buffed, who are going to bring down the world's market by hijacking this plane and then potentially crashing it or maybe not oh, crashing the, the, it. You have to say the world's financial market, because this has to do with the stock price of the yeah. airline yeah. company. There's a kind of ticking clock, kind of a la 24, that makes oh, it really, you know, <laughs> every second counts. But seven hours of is really kind of preposterous isn't it i mean except for the welsh air traffic i really like the welsh air yes. traffic yeah i've never seen her before and there are a few surprises first of all the, the gang i think you were being very kind to say they're master they're master criminals there was seen to be a hodgepodge gang of uh, lackeys for the two master criminals that they want for to pressure but they're pressured into being criminals by yes. the master Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, that these you know, there's a moment when Holly Aird, who is, you know, a woman whose family has been is being held captive, who's an ex-Navy pilot, who leaps up. You, you know, she she's been, you know, several hours have passed and suddenly she leaps up with a gun and, and rushes into the cockpit, you know, and you go. Well, well, you know, what happened was that they were running out of plot. There was just so much they could do. And, uh, you know, yeah. like when you mentioned the air traffic controller, I could have watched a movie of her talking to Idris Elba. You know what I mean? Of them scenes together. She was incredible. And when you mentioned her, it put into relief how sort of 
lackluster the rest of the cast was, you know what I mean? Or what they were given to play was. I don't know. The acting was so bad as that, you know, you had a bunch of bureaucrats sitting around a table, none of whom. Well, I mean, that was outrageous. I mean, here you have the strange wife has a new boyfriend who is a cop. And then we see Archie, um, you know, Punjabi, who's one of my favorite actresses, completely underused, playing a ridiculous part of a sort of security DCI. I don't know quite what it was. It was completely. And then all of these ministers and various people sitting around looking at dotted lines on a video screen. I mean, that's that interesting. No, And they couldn't even catch the villains, you know, as they're racing through the countryside. Frantic passengers, jittery, bloodied hijackers, desperate people locking themselves in various unhelpful places. I mean, they're all in this well, series. Well, that you know, when you don't have enough of a story, because as you're saying, it's seven episodes and it's one plane ride, two and a half or three hours long or whatever it is. When you have nothing to work with, you keep on throwing it basically the, you know, the kitchen sink which is there's, you know, an overturned truck on on the road. So they have to go around it. And then there's the relationship with the cop, with Idris Elba's ex-wife, and whether they're going to get back together again. I felt really, no, I shouldn't say I felt sorry for Idris Elba. As I was saying, we were commenting before, I feel he's become the African-American. No, he also was producing it. So it's all his fault. Well, I'm saying he's, you know, for me, he's the African-American version of Liam Neeson, who, you know, when he first did that Taken, it was amazing. Taken 5 is not so amazing. And Idris, you're an incredible actor. You've got an amazing presence. I could watch you forever, but you've got to get better material, especially if this is your own company. You know, and I think what you're saying is you didn't feel invested in any way in all these other characters and relationships. You know, yes. So, you know, Idris Elmas is incredibly keenly intelligent. He's incredible. He's able to talk to people in a way that relaxes them and gets them to stop behaving badly. You know, we all watch Luther. I found that he had for seven solid hours, one expression. And he, like when you said furrowed brow, he was the chief furrowed brow of that plane. He had one expression. So I don't even feel that this was a, a wonderful display of his talents, that he's so much a better an actor than this character allowed him yeah, to I mean, be. I feel, I feel, I don't feel quite so negatively as you do. I mean, I felt that there was something compelling enough about it for me to keep watching. I mean, I think it's a very silly summer thriller and maybe that's exactly yeah. what they set out to do. Maybe. Say from a dramatic perspective, it really, it really barely makes it because it it expects you. There's all the, the motive behind the whole thing. You have to wait for halfway through the series to know what actually is going on. And I thought that was a major gamble. I would have thought they lost a lot of audience well, because yeah. you know, you're left in the dark. Well, and, and as it turns out, as you, I think, I guess, what is it, episode five or maybe it's episode six, when you realize that it's basically a paper caper, you know, paper capers yeah. are not so interesting. The fact no, that the world stock market's going to go down because of the, or, or they're going to take a hit because of the stock, it was like, oh, yawn. It, you know, it, it kind of redeemed itself for me from a thriller perspective towards the end. It got exciting again, but it did make me want to watch my favorite spoof movie. What? Airplane. Oh, God. <laughs> I did not expect that from you. If Idris Elba is listening... Get a better script. Yes. You don't become Leonisa. What do you come down on for Hijack? Well, this is a tricky one for me because the truth is when I started watching Hijack, I got really engaged with it because I do have the hots for Idris Elba. I'll, yeah. I'll come clean. But you know what? It's a bomb. 
you know something you've given me the uh, the opportunity to say the same thing because I was I love this kind of movie I really do I, the hijack it's my you know my favorite kind and this just did not work for me I was going to go on the fence but I think I have to give it a bomb as well Which brings us to the end of episode 22. And next time, we have a whole different slate. One is called River, which is English and is a mystery. And the other one is Sleeping Dog from Germany. And the third is a, I guess it's a comedy. I haven't watched it. So comedy. Called, romantic comedy, yeah. Yeah, romantic comedy, exactly. Called uh, The Beauty and the Baker from Israel. Please listen to us on Spotify, Google, Apple, whatever your favorite podcast channels, tell your friends. And also remember to check us out on our website, which is bingeorbomb.com, because it's a great guide to help you know which of our 22 episodes you uh, would be most interested in. So it's, you know, just a little bit of a, of a shorthand. And let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs>